Hello and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young Christians who live in Montreal. We meet together to discuss Christianity and how to follow Jesus in the world today. Please enjoy this podcast, which is a sermon on our series about the basics of our Christian belief. Well, I wanted to begin with a question. And so the question is, you're going to have to raise your hand um, or just make a clap emoji or whatever it is you want to do. Uh, but who finds it easy to make decisions? All right. Uh, and I assume those who did not raise their hand slash cry laugh uh, are, um, <laughs> are not very good at making decisions. Is that a fair assumption? A lot of you feel like you are not that good at making decisions, that you kind of uh, um and ah a lot about things. Um, uh, certainly my wife. My wife is not good at making decisions. She is uh, someone who will like hesitate a lot to make a decision. Um, and I think I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at making decisions uh, pretty quickly and with some sense of confidence. But the payoff is that she's a much better researcher than I, I am. She can dedicate a lot of time and mental energy into researching something. Um, and so we work well in in like balance because she can bring a tremendous amount of like nuance and discussion to a topic, but that can quickly snowball and go out of control. So she can do the first half of it and then I can decide and, and pick a direction without uh, with, with a sense of confidence and not kind of second guessing myself all the time. And so I feel like together we work really well like that. And it's an interesting ideas as to why people struggle to make decisions. It's kind of a fascinating topic to look at, uh, but it's something that we are faced with when it comes to uh, embarking as Christians and then living as Christians is there must be uh, a decision that's made by us to go forward. We're faced if we want to move forward as a Christian, uh, well, first of all, as a non-Christian, becoming a Christian, and then move forward in Christianity, it takes a sense of like um, willfulness to go in a certain direction and to stick with it. The fact is, and, and this is brought up by that chapter 10 of the basic Christianity book that we're looking at, uh, no one drifts into Christianity. Uh, and you can't be brought into Christianity by another person. To become a Christian isn't simply a mental assent to certain truths. The truth, the two great propositions of Christianity uh, would be, well, there's probably more than two great propositions, but two of the great propositions as it relates to this topic is number one, uh, you need a savior. And number two, Christ is that savior. And interestingly enough, you can agree with those two and not yet really be a Christian. You can look at your life and agree, I need help. My life is a mess. And then you can look at Jesus and say, yes, I agree that he's the one that can help me get out of this. But until you make that third step or that, or that third admonition and, and, and sort of act of will to say, I'm actually going to do what he's asking me to do. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to start listening to him, you're not yet a Christian. And so it takes that decision. Simply acknowledging those two things as facts uh, is not all that's required. And the passage that's brought up a lot by John Stott is Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. 
And so I thought it'd be good to go there. It's uh, a super well-known verse of the Bible. Uh, it's brought up a lot. There's a very famous painting uh, made about it as well. If you want to Google it, you can say, I think it's probably called Jesus Stands and Knocks or Jesus at the Door or something like that. Um, it's a it's a great, pretty iconic painting uh, that also John speaks about in the chapter as well. But the verse goes like this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Listen. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So the verse lays out the invitation that Jesus makes to us, much like him coming into our lives via the door to our heart. It's saying that he stands there waiting for us to accept him to accept him into our life. And when we do that, we must accept him on his terms. To In order for him to come in, he must come in as Lord. He must come in as Savior. And that means kind of when he comes in, you give him the keys to the house and say, this is yours. It always has been now. It always has been yours. But now I acknowledge that it is yours and I want to act like that I am yours, that my life is yours. Tremendously, uh, he does come in as a friend. Uh, I love the idea of him coming to just eat with us, to fellowship with us. Uh, what a beautiful picture of the way that Jesus desires to come and to have communion with us. And it's purely an act of grace. It's really a stark contrast when you look at the rest of what's being said in that particular passage. It's a part of a letter that's being written to a church, a church that uh, was kind of a picture of sort of casual Christianity, uh, the sort of smug self-contentment they seem to carry with them of like not really feeling like they had any deep need for Christ, not really feeling like they were really that bad after all. It seems like Jesus was sort of like an add-on to their life in some way, like they hadn't really fully dived into it. They were sort of just going with the flow and and they kind of saw Christianity like that way. It's more like a, a leisurely float down a river rather than like a wading upstream, which is what often Christianity will feel like because it's a wading against the current. And they don't see that if they are sort of just floating down the river, that there's a waterfall coming up and it's going to mean disaster for them. And they're being totally oblivious of the real reality of the situation, the danger that they're in, the foolishness that they're exhibiting by their callous and sort of casual actions. And so this is letter warning them, saying you have to change your ways. You have to really wake up to the reality of these things. I like when John Stott says in, the, in that chapter, he says, I don't need anything is the most dangerous statement that you can live by. It's really, it's such a, a twist and a turnaround to what we modern people think uh, sort of independence is something that we greatly value. The fact that I can live a life in which I don't need anything from anybody is such a value for us. Uh, and yet spiritually speaking, it's utter foolishness and it's heading for disaster. If we think we can actually not, if we think we don't actually need anything, we desperately need 
Jesus. We desperately need what he's offering. And it says in, in that uh, passage to the church in Lady Asia, it says the reality is that they were they, they thought they were rich, they thought they were well clothed, they thought they were well fed, but the reality was that they were poor, blind, naked, and pitiful. That's the reality. And that reality is the one in which Jesus comes to them. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with them and they with me. And so you look at this. On the one hand, there's this tremendous contrast because you have this judgment being pronounced. of like, you guys are pitiful and blind and naked. And then Jesus coming and saying, I want to eat with you. You're the people I want to come close to. You're the people I want to embrace. It's just such a profound difference, don't you think? It's just this amazing picture of the, the beautiful depth of the love of God that he still stands at the door and knocks, even though that's truly who we are in his eyes. And inviting him in alleviates those problems. It alleviates our blindness, our nakedness before God, our, you know, our destitution before God as well. But he comes in as Lord, which means we must commit ourselves to him. And what I want us to try to focus on tonight is to see becoming a Christian a lot like getting married. It begins much like a marriage at a single point of commitment. You make a decision, you make a commitment, you make a promise in a single moment on a particular day. And just like a marriage, in that moment, things are different. It changes. You commit yourself to something and it establishes a new normal. Now, as John says, you can, become, you can become a Christian in a moment, but to be a mature Christian will take a lifetime. And that's what we see in a marriage as well. You become married in a moment, but in order to really fully live out what it means to love someone and be united to one to someone else, it takes a lifetime of adjustment, a lifetime of two strong-willed people becoming one and becoming unified. Spiritually speaking, it is the reality, but it takes a long time and a lot of effort of will to bring that reality to fruit in your life as well. So we're talking today about committing ourselves to Jesus, establishing that commitment as a path that we begin to walk on as as sort of the new path of life that we, we take. And what is actually almost accidental, but obviously not accidental because this is God, this not only brings about a tremendous amount of spiritual blessing in our life, but for our world today, we can add to the tremendous list of blessings that come to us as Christians another blessing, which is that what Jesus is offering us is the opportunity to become a free and healthy human being. Because the pathway that he lays out for us to to live is one which will result in us finding a true identity, finding out who we truly are, finding out uh, why we're here. Because it runs contrary to what the world, particularly today, will advocate as the way in which you self-actualize, the way that you find your identity. 
a lot of people have uh, the di a different pathway that they point to towards what it means to be human, what it means to be mature, and what it means to be free. Uh, our culture has experienced this huge deviation from conventional conventional wisdom, and sorry, but I have to like wildly disagree with what a lot of what you'll hear of celebrities and like IG influencers and all these kind of like cultural uh, commentators of our day will say about what it means to live an authentic life, to live a a true and free life. Because they'll say something along the lines of follow your heart, do whatever makes you happy, go and, and you know, live your dreams. And that's not <laughs> what Jesus is talking about. That's not what the Bible talks about in terms of being, uh, being healthy and whole and mature it takes a commitment to something outside of yourself in order to be mature to be whole and to have a stable identity you know finding your identity is actually is actually not in self-discovery as much as it is in self-mastery it's about being able to limit yourself in the short term in order to open up greater opportunities for yourself in the long term. Because what's truly great in this world comes at a price. It comes at a cost. And only by committing yourself to something for long term are you ever going to be able to open up those opportunities to explore them at all. So the idea that the that a lot of people in the past would speak of and the Bible speaks of too is that it's only by making wise commitments and keeping them do we actually form a stable identity and do we actually form the basis to be a free and whole and healthy human being. The problem is your feelings can't tell you who you are. They're too fleeting. They're too changeable. If you do nothing but follow your feelings, you're never going to be able to establish any kind of st stable identity of who am I because you'll be changing every minute. Your accomplishments can't tell you who you are. Though you may accomplish things, there's still so much about who you are that isn't revealed by your accomplishments. And also your accomplishments can be taken away from you quite quickly. Your hopes and dreams can't tell you who you are. Your hopes and dreams can tell you who you aspire to be perhaps, but not who you actually are. What can tell you who you are is the commitments that you, the wise commitments that you make and keep. We are too full of contradictions, too full of equivocations to really be able to trust our own hearts. Uh, I don't think we should follow our hearts. I think we should follow something established by God in order to find out who we are. To give ourselves to something or to someone forms an identity stable enough to move our life away from being purely what Soren Kierkegaard would call accidental living, where you're just being kind of influenced moment by moment and, and shifting with the tides. Move us away from accidental living to creating a stable identity and out of a stable identity, a stable relationships as well, where we get to know who we are. Only by stay, being committed to someone 
and I would say Christ above all else, but being committed to someone, living out that commitment, where we rise above the conditions that limit us, we'll be able to be free because we are saying that despite how I may feel in the moment, by choosing to honor the commitments I have made, I rise above any conditions that may limit me. I rise above the idea that I'm purely fated, that I'm determined, that I'm just uh, a product of my upbringing and nothing more. When I rise above all of these things, I live, I live free because I'm showing that I can be who I choose to be. I am, I am not a slave of my emotions. I am not a slave of my passions. I'm not uh, sort of subject to the whims of the people and the culture around me. I choose to be this and I will continue to be this come what may. And so we give ourselves in trusting response to Jesus. We trust him, the one who has shown his love and trustworthiness towards us already. We show him that we do trust him by committing ourselves to him. And we commit not simply to following him, but also to trusting him, even in those times when feelings fade, when when it's difficult to do so, when it's not pleasant or comfortable to follow him. We continue to follow him. See, what we're doing when we make a decision to become a Christian is not saying, I want to follow Jesus now. Because in that moment of, of making a decision to follow Jesus, you probably do really want to follow him. But you need to see that the, the type of commitment that he's calling us to is one that is saying, we need to say, I will continue to follow Jesus even when I don't really want to. Because I see within my heart the tendency to, to wane, the tendency to falter. And just like a marriage... When you commit yourself to someone, you're not promising that you love them now. You're promising that you will continue to love them. You're promising that in the future, you will stay committed to them and stay loving them too. When we talk about making a decision to become a Christian, and we're talking about, you know, that being a Christian involves commitment. We're saying that what we're being called to is much like a marriage in that way. We stay committed through the thick and the thin. And by doing so, we actually, we're going to unlock for ourselves the greatest opportunities and potentials to be a fully formed human being, to be living a life of purpose and dignity and worth, to be living a life in which we are experiencing some of the greatest things that life has to offer in terms of depth of relationship, in terms of self-knowledge, in terms of uh, purpose in life as well, and, and living free of a sense of guilt and condemnation, uh, being established upon the love of God and you know, being washed of shame. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, but a lot of these things only bear fruit as we stick with it and we continue to stay in a trusting relationship with him as well. And just like a marriage relationship, this will take day-by-day decisions. I know this isn't profound, but remember this. Your today is your future's past. So, I know, amazing, right? But what I mean to say is, 
what you're doing today is establishing, whether you're doing it intentionally or not, is establishing the person who you will become. And you will look back on this time next year and the year after that, and particularly this time where we're living in such an unstable environment. And you'll think about these days. And when you think back on them, are you going to think about them in terms of, wow, I grew a lot then. Wow, I really experienced a tremendous amount of character growth. Or are you going to look back at them and say, man, I really wasted my shot to make something useful of this time. If we want to be making something useful of our lives, if we want to be making something useful of our time in this moment, we, might, we can do so by deciding to act upon our commitment to Christ, to act and, and establish even further the trust and the commitment we have to him. Because only by doing so and doing so consistently are we going to open up a greater sense of contentment and purpose and strength and drive in the days and weeks and years to come. And as we look forward to an uncertain tomorrow, and it's truly more uncertain than perhaps any of us have ever experienced in our life before. As we look to this uncertain time, we can do so with certainty in two things. Number one, no matter what the future holds, we know who Christ will be in that future. We know that he will be the same today, yesterday, forever. So we know who Christ will be. And the second is we can choose today to know who we are going to be. That come what may, through the thick and the thin, I will be the one who follows Christ. The one who stays committed to him. We have, by the grace of God, the, commit, the, the strength to be able to keep a commitment like that. And so we can actually walk forward into the future with a sense of certainty about those two things, which will provide for us a rock of stability and identity in the shifting sands of this world. And so my hope and prayer for all of us today is that we will think about, and I know all of you here have been Christians for many years already, but there's still a sense in which we must remember that it's a day-by-day commitment that we're called to. And by acting upon that day-by-day commitment, we we can establish for ourselves stability and identity. And that is invaluable. So let's pray together. God, I ask, Lord, for all of us who are still waning in our commitment to you, those who are still flip-flopping in what it is that we are doing with our life. Those who have still not given you all the keys to our house, but there are still doors that are locked that we haven't let you in to yet. We pray, God, that you might help all of us to really act upon the commitment that you have called us to act on, to dedicate ourselves to you, to dedicate ourselves to you in love and to become more and more the people you're calling us to be. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you'd like to find out more about CU20 and People's Church, please look for us at peoplesmontreal.org. There you'll find our service times, ways to contact us, and a catalog of past sermons. 
please reach out if you have any questions. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day.